Hey, glad you could join me here at the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, doing a little traveling today, not just uh, back to the floor of the Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic, where we'll interview Tom Carpenter. Tom is the editor of the Pheasants Forever Journal of Conservation. That's their magazine, and uh, we will learn all about how he puts that thing together, why he chooses the stories he does, and then he'll tell a few of his own his hunting experiences, add a few tips and tactics from his decades in the field. It's all coming up right here in the next few minutes. I will bring back on an alternating basis uh, our road trip feature. So if you're looking for new ideas for next season, I'll give you some destinations with plenty of public access. Yeah, we'll rotate that with our Handle It segment, which is all about dog training, your two favorite topics, top agenda items and then speaking of you i asked in the recent newsletter what you'll be shooting at next i think you'll be surprised at the answers that the survey reveals all here on the upland nation podcast made possible by sage and breaker gun care products pointer shotguns mid valley clays and shooting school true lock choke tubes midwayusa.com Joy Dog Food, welcome aboard Joy Dog Food and findbirdhuntingspots.com. Yeah, winter is still. Uh, holding on by the skin of its teeth around here, maybe for you too. I've seen some incredible winter scenes on social media. You're all learning to, uh, you know, tolerate it with uh, with with a good spirit about you, and I'm trying to do the same. But what that means to we dog trainers is, my gosh, it is hard to get a dog uh, enough work of any sort when there's, you know, two to five to 65 inches of snow on the ground. So some of the things that I'm learning, uh, I'm sure you've learned as well. The first is don't get discouraged. You can't put it off. If you want your dog to grow as a hunter, then you've got to work with him year round. And that's one of the things that just keeps me going all the time. The other is, you know, most of the stuff we do, uh, we we could do in the yard. Yeah, the yard has snow as well, but we can do it right there. So if you don't want to go out into that, you know, gale force wind or, you know, deep snow, you don't have to. But if you do to get your dog enough exercise, most of the time I'm not finding that to be a big issue. I um, I do one thing, though, that might be of value to you. To you. Flick, for some reason, has a lot of um, uh, hair between his uh, toes and on his, you know, between his pads on his feet. And uh, the bigger bu- bugaboo with us is uh, at some point when the snow is of a certain type, it will um, gather and ball up into ice between his pads. And then he just lays down and starts working on that instead of running. So there are two things that I've used in the past that might be of value to you on a preventative basis. The first is, um, 
Musher's Secret. That's kind of a wax in a jar. You can get it anywhere dog um, dog products are sold. That works real well. Just smear that all over his pads and in between his pads as well. That kind of waxy substance will keep the ice from, um, from forming, keep the snow from sticking to his hair. If you don't want to go to that much trouble, keep a can of Pam cooking spray handy. Do it outside or your spouse will kill you afterwards. But uh, spray that Pam on all their feet. Top, bottom, in between the toes and pads. That should keep the ice balls off. That's what, that's what keeping my sanity on is all about these days. So uh, if you're pushing through it as well, uh, good luck. You're not alone, believe me. And speaking of you and not alone, uh, a lot of you are not alone in your regards for the next upcoming season. In the recent uh, Upland Nation Insights newsletter, I asked the question, what will be the next thing you shoot at? And uh, I was frankly a little surprised at the answers. Top of the list, of course, clay targets. 54% of you are going to be shooting clay targets next. Maybe... <laughs> Tomorrow, maybe today for that matter. Second on the list, though, 25% of you said you're going to do a turkey hunt. Uh, well, let's hope that means you'll get a shot at one. And then it dribbles down from there. 8% of you are varmint hunters. 3% uh, are going to hold off until forest grouse season opens sometime in September. 4% are shooting at doves. 2.5% at prairie grouse. And only 2.3% of you will be... Uh, going for big game next. Uh, that's probably because there are some, you know, early, early season openers there. Hey, love to hear from you. And if you're not getting the newsletter, why don't you sign up so you can be a part of that community? It's uh, easy to do. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com and um, scroll down just a little bit on the homepage and there will be a place where you can sign up and get on the mailing list. So uh, join us every week. There's always something in there for you. You can hear this, this podcast. You can watch some of the educational videos that I put up there. There's always an article that's hopefully of interest and, and a whole bunch of other stuff, including that newsletter survey. It's all at the Upland Nation Insights newsletter. Appreciate your feedback. We're brought to you in part by Pointer Shotguns. Just got off the phone yesterday with Andy McCormick over at Pointer Shotguns. Uh, you remember him from the podcast. Well, things have not just slowed down. They have. They are on. You know, on afterburners over there. They are filling so many orders, especially for their new side by sides, and especially for the side by sides with case coloring. You want to learn more about how all that works and find a retailer near you. They are, they are really working hard to keep that flow coming down the pike. So check it all out at PointerShotguns.com. Find a nearby retailer, check out the models, and watch a couple of videos by me while you're there as well. And then uh, head on over to SageAndBreaker.com. Sign up for their mailing list at SageAndBreaker.com. They've got all sorts of great gun cleaning and care products uh, from gun cleaning mats and shotgun cases to the one that I am using a lot of this time of year as I get all my guns uh, basically put away except for my target guns they are getting a good healthy dose of CLP clean lube protect it does all that it's a spray on it's non-toxic 
and it's anti-magnetic. So all the dust that's floating around, whether it's in your house, in your closet, or in your gun safe, it will uh, be less likely to stick to your guns. Get yourself a bottle or two of CLP at sageandbreaker.com. Sign up for their mailing list. Get in on the future sales and new products. We're here on the floor of the National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic in Minneapolis. What an event. Uh, with me is one of the guys who you can blame for its success in one small way or another. Tom Carpenter is with Pheasants Forever. He's the editor of Pheasants Forever. What are Jur we calling it these days? The Journal of Upland Conservation. Thank you. But most people just call it Pheasants Forever Journal. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Well, whatever it is, it's a great book. It, it's <laughs> looking, it, it looks better every year. And I, it does. And we're going to talk about graphic design a little bit. But, yep. But mainly we're going to talk about all the important stuff. Yep. But, uh, but congratulations on a great pheasant fest. The crowds are incredible. Also on a great magazine, and the organization is doing well. Wonderful. Um, yep. We got a new, uh, new CEO starting yep. uh, all, uh, officially, she, who knows, but yeah, she's, she's right here right now. She's coming on board, Marilyn Vetter. She's a great, she's a great addition to the team. Uh, how, hard to replace Howard Vincent, yeah. but she's going to be, a, she's going to be good at it. Uh, I've no, I've had a couple meetings with her already and, um, it's going to be great for the organization. They're going to have a little transition and then June 1st or so she's it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're right. Uh, the big shoes to fill. Yes. Marilyn's got an organizational background that is second to none in that mm -hmm. world, and, and she's a bird dog person. She's a real deal. She's very. She's been very active in NAVDA. She's very. She's a real deal upland bird hunter. Yeah. It's and she's a real deal conservationist. It's exactly what we need. Great. Well, enough about that. Yep. Let's get to the important stuff. Okay. Let's start with the magazine first. Uh, yep. You know, people a lot. You know, I was a publisher for five years, and people don't understand how much goes into it on the back end yes. before they pick it up off the postal uh, out of their yep. mailbox or or pick it up on the newsstand. What are what are some of the things that we don't know about magazines that you deal with on it that are critical? I think the first thing is the planning that goes into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we do a we do a schedule a year in advance. It, to when are we going to release this magazine to a printer, and and that's when it hits the mail stream for the cu customer, or the member, and you get it. You got to back up from there and you start it. What are the stories are going to be? What are the stories going to be? How many ads are going to be in there? How, how do we juggle and balance them? We do what you call a pagination, and that's a, it's essentially a page by page grid of what goes where. And it's a big, I call it a big puzzle. My job is to solve this puzzle. And it's incredible fun because you get to talk to writers like you. So you've, you've written for us and hopefully will in the future. You get stories in. There's, there's hardcore editing wh where you're on the keyboard, you know, helping that writer sort of in, in massage, making sure the, the PF conservation message, whatever the message we want to get across is in that story. Uh, words 
then meet up. And I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, words meet up with the great design that you alluded to. We have great designers, Logan Hinners, Emily Snyder, Hunter Booth, we have three of them, and they juggle the great design. I see designs, we work together, we're, we're a great team, they're great designers. They're all real deal outdoorsmen, them, persons themselves. Yeah, that helps. And, and that, that helps immensely. And um, words meet pictures and graphics. I do a lot of pictures as far as fi- helping them, but they do a lot of the finding them. And they, put, they, they marry the two, and we go through a process of review uh, with various uh, groups within the organization, and it's it's a full time job. I do oh, yeah. <laughs> I do I do nine publications a year. There's spring, summer, fall, and winter pheasants forever journal. I do the shared upland bird hunting super issue, which is all upland hunting, not just pheasants and quail, because that that magazine is branded both pheasants forever and quail forever, and that's our biggest issue of the year. And that so that's five big. We call them big books, and then I do our youth publication, Forever Outdoors, and we're always looking to uh, get more young people writing that. We have good resources in our Conservation Careers Program, our Youth Leadership Council, our Path to the Uplands Initiative. I'm continually trying to get more young people writing for that and get them into the editorial flow as well. Well, uh, that leads to a question. I've been, I've been waylaid at least twice right here at Pheasant Fest. Um, by guys who uh, have read my stuff, seen me, whatever it is, and they say, you know, how do I become a writer for a magazine? <laughs> and I tell them, oh, heck, if I know, I did it the wrong way, I can guarantee you. Yep. But uh, if you want to give any words of advice or encouragement to people who think they, they want to be a writer or maybe a photographer, yep. uh, how, do they, how do they get started in that world? I'm not saying how do they break into Pheasants Forever Journal, yep. but how do they start in the magazine writing world two easy words do it yeah just get out i mean my dad uh when i was growing up knew i was going to be a uh, and he was a railroad man for uh-huh. he started working for the railroad when he was 14 all and, the live long day yeah all okay. the live long right. day and his dad too he started working on the section when he was 14 in southern wow. wisconsin that's wow. where i grew up and he was a wonderful man, as, as, as many of us can say about our fathers. He introduced me to the outdoors. And I started, I was writing outdoor stories when I was five, six years old. And he knew I did that. And he used to say, Tommy, he said, I know what you do while you're hunting and fishing. I said, what? And he said, you write stories while you hunt. <laughs> and if you have that passion to write about it, here's what I'll tell you. And I'm a big journaler, and we, we yeah. can talk about that a little yeah. bit. I've journaled, I, I can tell you, every day I've went hunting in my life. Wow. From the time I was six or seven years old, tagging along with my dad, who was a pheasant hunter, a squirrel hunt, big squirrel hunter, and a deer hunter. And he said... You write as you go, and if you have a passion for getting these stories down, and I would do it just so I would never forget these experiences, and, and th- that's what I encourage people to do. Uh, that's writing. Just write. You know, any, writing is, if, if you think you want to be a writer, you are. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. Just do it. Photography. Uh, the only thing I'll say is, and, and we're, not on, we're not on camera now, I'm pulling out my iPhone. If you have today's modern phone, you have the tools to do great photography. Yeah. 
go take a little YouTube course, look, look and, and see what your phone can really do and take those pictures, not just of dead birds, but do of other things, of the people, of lunch while you're hunting, of the bar and grill afterwards, of your dog, you know, just it, taking photography about the upland bird hunting experience is more than dead birds. Dead birds are great. And you can do it in artistic ways, but that's much, the experience is much more than that. Well, let's go on that because I, uh, you know, it's one of my pet peeves. I don't want to talk about dead birds on the tailgate. Yep. But there are ways to make that scenario or other related scenarios slightly better. Yes. I'm going to say you see thousands of images a year. Yep. What makes good images better than most of the other stuff you see? I'd say one is composition, and by that I mean everybody likes to look at something and say, there's my dog and I've, I've got that bird arranged beautifully, and you center that bird, you center it all, and you take a picture, and there it is. I like to say, get, get the subject off to a side, in a different corner, in a different side, and, and that adds interest and in get some landscape in. I also, like to, I also like to say try that portrait mode on your phone. Step back and sort of then de give the mood of that background, but focus on the subject. And th there's just a flavor to that portrait mode. Uh, those are two things. Good and sharp is good. I also say, I, I you know, <laughs> you and I sitting here with our gray mustache and our gray beard, we remember the days when it was all slides. Yeah. And, you, you, and some people listening to this, you might not even know, but photography used to not be digital. You'd, you'd send your film in and you'd get slides back, like you picture a slideshow, and those slides would come back. And you would think twice about how many pictures are you going to snap. When you're in digital, snap them, just go. I'll snap, like we'll take my dog and a bird, for example, and I think I have what are, are beautiful shots of that for me for, like, my dog and a sharp tail or my dog and a, and a pheasant or my dog and a woodcock and those create the memories for me occasionally they get used but i'll shoot 25 30 pictures and then that night when i'm when i'm in bed if i'm in the lodge or an airbnb or back at home if it's a hunt from home day i'll just go through those and i'll get rid of 20 of the 25 sure. and i'll have five and that's still too many and then i'll work and edit those five and don't don't be shy about snapping pictures because it doesn't cost you anything in digital. Well, even when you did have to buy film and pay for developing, uh, the best bit of advice I got when I was in the newspaper business was film is cheaper than going back out and doing it again. That's 100%. And you, you can't recreate that lighting, yeah. those moments. Uh, that the That's what it's about. You're absolutely yeah. right. So take a lot of pictures and... Even even a uh, even a blind bird even a blind pheasant finds some cord kernels right, <laughs> and you can get it, but you're not going to get it if you don't if you only shoot two or three. So don't be shy about taking a lot of pictures and then judging them hard when you go through and, and picking out. I guarantee you, you'll get one. You'll be like, oh, that's the one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I love it. Now, well, you alluded to the thing that I really like talking about, and that is uh, bird hunting. Yep. Um, you're slightly familiar with that field. A little bit. <laughs> uh, uh, tell me about your season. How was it and what was the highlight? It's hard to say a highlight. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown. Uh, and this is a fairly standard season for me these days. Um, I start on sharp-tailed grouse. Yeah. 
it's all sharp tails all the time until about early October. So I did a lot in North Dakota mm -hmm. and South Dakota this year. North Dakota was really good for sharp tails. Good. Good. Uh, I love sharp tails. I'm going to write a story someday called God's Birds. <laughs> and it's going to be an essay about my love for sharp tails. Yeah. I came to sharp tails relatively later in life, probably in my late 30s, early 40s. And they're a native grouse. Pheasants Forever does a lot for many birds beyond sharp tails, including prairie chickens, sage grouse, our sage grouse initiative, and sharp tails. Uh, sharp tail habitat doesn't always cross over with pheasant habitat, but I love hunting sharp tails, short grass, lots of walking with my dog, can see my dog working. I probably hunted sharp tails 12 to 15 days this year. Um, I love sharp tails. Then about October 1st, when the, a few leaves start turning color and changing in Minnesota, I switched to the rough grouse woods. That's a brief season for me, um, but I'm also maybe more so a woodcock hunter. Uh, I like to say a lot of people say, yeah, I'm a rough grouse hunter, and yeah, occasionally we get a, a, a timber doodle, woodcock. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a little different. I go woodcock hunting, and yeah. maybe I get a bonus rough grouse. I am in deep love with woodcock. So I hunt them. I hope I try and get their uh, get their flight through Minnesota. I live in central Minnesota, uh, west of the Twin Cities, and we have some fantastic woodcock hunting and rough grouse hunting in Minnesota. It's probably the I would say the king for both of those. And I'm not I, I, hunters come here from all over to hunt those birds, and uh, that's great because we have a big public land base. So I go to them, and then it's about mid-October, Minnesota pheasant season opens, and I usually take a few days that aren't work. They're just myself and my friends, uh, my friend Anthony and his little bird dogs, and we stay in uh, his family's farmhouse in western Minnesota, and we just hunt pheasants, and that's the kickoff to pheasant season. And from that time on, it's all, it's fez, all pheasants all the time. Love it. Yep. But you said woodcock. Yep. You love them. Yep. I do too. Yep. I don't get near the access you do, but they are a great cooperative bird yes. in a lot of cases. What is it about them you like so much? They're here and there. They're, yeah. One of my favorite words is they're, eth they're ephemeral. They're here and they're gone. And that's magic to me. And we have some, there, there are resident woodcock in Minnesota, but I live for the woodcock, for the woodcock flight. And another thing I like about them is, uh, you know, I always say, I can drive an hour from my home and have good pheasant, fair to good pheasant hunting. Two hours, really good pheasant hunting. Three hours, I'm in some of the best pheasant hunting that this, in my opinion, the country has to offer. In yeah. Northern Iowa, in Iowa, western and southwestern Minnesota, uh, the Dakotas. So, wood, but woodcock come to me, <laughs> and I can I can hunt them. I wrote an essay once called "Hunting from Home," and it was about the magic of being in, you know, working till one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, you know, getting up early, putting in my hours, doing my editing on the magazine, and then I'm, I'm out of here. I'm woodcock hunting, and, and I have woodcock haunts, you know, 20 minutes from my house. And I can hunt those woodcock, and I, I dearly, I love that. It sort of harkens back to my childhood in southern Wisconsin, yeah. where pheasants, I would, um, I could walk out our door and walk two blocks to the edge of town and hunt. And one of my f favorite stories there is the, pol the police officer once stopped me and said, 
yeah, this is okay, but you got to case your gun before you get to the edge of town. So <laughs> I had to case my gun, and, and uh, my dad was a depot agent at that time, so he wasn't on the train. He was the depot agent in town. I literally would ride the train out, oh and they my. would drop me off, oh and I would, I would hunt back to town on that, when Dad was working. That is almost a movie or a, <laughs> or a play. Or it something. is. That is the, those were the good old days. Yep, but, but back to the woodcock, they're cooperative. I have a little pointing dog, Epignol Breton, which I always say is fancy for French Brittany. They're the original Brittany's. They're little. They're beautiful little dogs. They're little family, little family cuddle dogs, and they're hunting fiends. And these woodcock and a pointing dog are just the wood uses the word. They're cooperative. They sit there. They sit tight, and uh, you get a perfect point. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I'm ready to go right now. I am too. <laughs> You've got me going. Well, um, by the way, you're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That's Tom Carpenter. He is the editor of pheasants forever journal among other things and we never get to see each other but at this and usually it's passing like ships in the night so i'm, I'm cool. yep. glad you could sit around stand is, around for this a is fun podcast it absolutely yeah. is i'll just say the show floor is hopping today oh, i mean it's it's a lot of energy here and i'll just just put in a little plug if you've never been to a pheasant fest get to one is there's nothing like it in the world i describe it this way and i probably said that three times on the plane's several planes to get here yeah imagine whatever your passion is 20,000 people who have the same passion are in the same room with you yep isn't that cool it is <laughs> it is it's it's high energy and I, I call it old home days. Yeah, there you go. And there's smi There's I tell you what. There's bird dogs. There's smiles, and everybody's happy. Yeah. It's it's a. It, it, we always hold it at this time of year when the upland seasons are over for the most part over, except for a little few quail things to over. And you need this. It's also called it's your midwinter fix. Yeah. And dreaming. It is, and and you know, interestingly, so many people here are here to start laying plans for next year. Absolutely. I got two, two phone calls this morning. What are you seeing over there? Where should we go next year? Yep. So all those things happen at a Pheasant Fest. And, and if you can't get it at your, you know, if you can't come out to wherever Pheasant Fest is any given year, your local chapters are the next best thing. And, and how many chapters are you guys up to these days? 725 oh between my. Quail Forever and Pheasants yeah. Forever. Well, so you can find one. Anybody yep. can find one. And we need volunteers. Every organization needs volunteers. And Pheasants Forever's volunteers and chapter folks are unmatched. Uh, and I'll use that word again. They're unmatched in the conservation world. And our chapters, we always say locally generated dollars stand or local control. Yeah, and those those monies go into local habitat, local access programs in some cases, and local hunting heritage programs. Uh, we're very active in introducing new hunters to the uplands, and that's not just young kids. That's yeah. our Women on the Wing initiative. It is our Learn to Hunt programs for what we call adult onset hunters, mm -hmm. who either are getting into it for the first time or back into it. And it's, it's, that's what we're trying to do in addition to all the habitat we work, work we do is bring in the next generation of conservationists and also the next generation of volunteers. There we go. That's a good place to take a quick break here. We'll be back with Tom Carpenter of Pheasants Forever, the magazine. 
I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. And we'll be back with more from Tom Carpenter at Pheasant Fest, talking about Pheasants Forever, their magazine, and uh, a bunch of hunting advice for for all of us, and I'm sure you'll learn something as well. But first, let me remind you that uh, our road trip segment returns uh, after the break as well. So hang around after these quick messages. The first from truelockchokes.com. That 25% of you who are heading out for turkey season might benefit from the 15% off sale on all Pinhoti turkey chokes at truelockchokes.com. And just I had to ask, Pinhoti, P-I-N-H-O-T-I. That's how you spell it. I'm sure there's a backstory there. I'll ask Scott Trulock the next time I talk with him. 15% off all Pinhoti turkey chokes through April. Get on that well in advance. You can sight in your shotgun. Yeah, you can sight in a shotgun, especially for turkeys. It's all available at trulockchokes.com. And then welcome our newest sponsor, Joy Dog Food. Yeah, they've been around for 75 years. Great reputation in the hound world. Now they're making an entrance into the upland bird dog world. They've got two formulations that I like a lot. High energy and super meal. These folks are family owned and operated. You want to learn more about their formulations of all sorts, go to joydogfood.com. 100% American made with American ingredients, fixed formulas to provide consistency, and they're located anywhere you can find a decent feed store. Yeah, Joy Dog Food, patronize your local feed store. Everybody wins. It's at joydogfood.com. Welcome back to the Flora Pheasant Fest. We're semi-live. <laughs> Hi, guys. Uh, looking at the crowds, you know, uh, here's how I judge a show anymore, Tom. Tom Carpenter is with me with Pheasants Forever, Pheasants Forever Journal of Conservation. Hello. Scott's, <laughs> Scott's shaking his hand with somebody there. Okay, and and by, the way, I, by the way, it looks like a poodle pointer, yeah, I think. Okay. Yep. Pretty darn good yeah. looking one, too. Yeah, I'd take no, that, dog. Is, uh, I, I, you, I was just going to say, you can't walk down the aisles without seeing somebody you know. <laughs> yes. And you can't walk very fast because they're so crowded. And that's a good thing. Yes. Our, we're, we're, it's really a good show this afternoon. I just stopped at... Uh, it's I don't know what they're called. They're the fat tire bikes. Yeah, Rambo. These guys yeah. had 24 bikes. They've sold 18 of them. I believe it. They're taking orders. And I went over there, and I said, well, I was sort of joking. My little dog weighs 29 pounds. I said, I want, you ever watch Wizard of Oz? Like, <laughs> I want a basket on the front. And they said, we can do that. Heck yeah. And then they had a, they had a trailer with a yeah. Roughland kennel on there. I'm getting a trailer with a Roughland kennel. Are you? <laughs> It, it was great. So, yeah. and that's just an example. They they've sold eighteen of their twenty four bike, yeah. twenty four bikes, and yeah. uh, they're it, like you said, big. You can stop somewhere and somebody's looking or some looking at something, and you start up a conversation in your old friends. Yeah, it's like a high school reunion. It is that you never wanted to go to, but boy, look yep. at us. You you're here with maybe there's six thousand people here this afternoon. There's five thousand nine hundred ninety nine of your friends. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we talk a lot about all the things that are important to us, you know, whether it's publishing a magazine or making a podcast or a radio show or whatever. 
but let's talk about the stuff that's that everybody else is here for and we are passionate about as well. Yeah, give us a little bit of a advice on uh, on pheasant hunting in particular. You've been doing it your whole <laughs> life. Yes. Um, some of us were adult onset hunters, and now we're beyond adult onset. We're yep. beyond adult. I don't act like one anyway. <laughs> but but you know, if you had to just kind of go, start going down a list of the things that you wish or you hope people will do that they they need a reminder about to become a better pheasant hunter, what would you tell them? I guess one is. Let's start with access. Yeah, you know, and this then I'll then I'll I'll move beyond the pheasants forever spiel part, but it is access to public lands. Most of us need that access to public lands. Pheasants Forever is permanently protected, almost 230,000 acres. And but beyond that, we help landowners create pheasant habitat. And without pheasant habitat, even on private land, you can't have. Uh, programs like walk-in hunting yeah and minnesota's walk-in hunting nebraska open fields and waters north dakota plots south dakota walk-in uh did i mention nebraska open fields and waters kansas weha a lot of that habitat is there because of pheasants forever helping put that habitat on the ground what's good pheasant habitat grass upland prairie grass prairie habitat uh and that's what we do so but we all know pheasants are birds of the agricultural landscape, the crossover between grassland, wetland, grain, preferably you know small grains, but corn, soybeans, up, uh, winter wheat, spring wheat, milo and sorghum and food plots, uh, thickets and brush. What, what is good pheasant habitat? And if you've been pheasant hunting for a while, you know what it looks like. You learn it because you walk it and you figure out, oh, here's, this, is, this is where the pheasants are. It's cold, it's snowy, they're in the cattails. It's just cold and windy, they're in the willows. Y'all, it's a beautiful day. They're up in the short grass, it's only a foot tall. Um, it's, it's getting toward feeding time. They're moving from big grass into, through, they're walking to feed. Uh, so habitat is the number one name of the game and being in good habitat. Uh, f- hunting pheasants, a good dog. I, you really can't, pheasants are one thing that are very tough to hunt without a dog. Uh, I think you, you, you can echo that. And I, I, so I, but I'm here to say the dog doesn't have to be perfect. It can be a flusher, it can be a pointer, it can be a German Shepherd, it can be uh, a, a Corgi mix. There's a guy I know in Utah who sends me pictures every year of him, his Terrier Corgi mix. He shoots a lot of pheasants. Yeah. So, but we all, we all want a bird dog and we all have favorites, but a good bird dog, and I'm actually doing a seminar here about and it's called Anybody Can Train a Bird Dog. Bird Dog and Family Dog. And they actually won't let me on the bird dog stage because I am sort of the antithesis of formal training. Sure. I teach dogs simple things. Come, get back into range, and uh, heal. If you, you know, sure. heal for me. And other than, and sit, which is sort of a multi, multi, multi-purpose command. Uh, and... They don't need to know anything else. If you got a good dog from a good breeder, they, it's up in their noggin. I'm pointing to my head right now. It's in their DNA. You just have to take them hunting and have fun. Well, they, you know, the, the cliche on the bird dog stage is uh, let the birds teach the dog. Yes, 100%. And it's absolutely true. Yep. No doubt about it. Rick and Ronnie and Delmar Smith. Yep. 
They're advocates of uh, three basic skills. Yep. Go away when I want you to, come back when I want yep. you to, and hold still when I want that's you to. That's it. What else do you do? Yes, and don't, don't come, yeah, exactly. What my, uh, a mentor of mine from way back, Ben O. Williams, some of you may recognize his name, he says, just hunt. Yeah. Just get out and hunt. Yeah. So when you're out there hunting, you know, I think a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, and it, in many ways, pheasants for, or pheasant hunting is a social endeavor. You often do it with people. I like to do that. It's great. But my serious pheasant hunting, what I live for in the outdoor idea, in the outdoor realm is me, my bird dog, and that's it. Yeah. And stealth is the number one thing. I, you know, get out there. You, it, here's, here's one tip. We'll get in a real granular tip is late seat, let's say any time of year, but like if I'm driving out in the morning to get to a hunting spot, I've got, I've usually got my, my destination in mind. I will stop in town at the convenience store or at the high school football field or anywhere. I get ready a mile, a mile, two miles, five miles away from where I hunt. I pull up, I get my dog out, she's ready, we go. Yeah. We're not slamming doors and whistling and yelling, hey, get back here and, and all kinds of stuff. We slip in and we sneak and we go. You know, so be, that's, that's probably my number one tip is don't take pheasants as a, it, it should be fun, but it's not a leisure activity yeah. in the sense that I'm yelling, and they hear you coming. They, they have enough evidence that you're coming just by your presence. So be stealthy. That, other than that, you know, it's, it's what you, I know you love to do, I love to do. We walk. Yeah. We get steps on the ground. We let the dog work. You know, you can look for seams and edges and transitions and what are the birds going to be doing? Are they feeding? Are they done? Are they going to be in the thick and the thin grass? Is it sunny? Is it, are they going to be out of the wind behind a hill? You just got to look. Yeah. And that's, 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 that's called hunting. And you, you'll find them. You know, you, you brought up two things now that uh, a good friend of mine I hunt with a lot, he's also a big game hunter. Yep. <clears throat> and he, you, he hunts all birds primarily chuckers he hunts uh like a big game hunter would yep he's got a plan he's willing to alter the plan if he needs to yep but he has so much knowledge in his head and he's able to apply it one of the things he does is observe a lot and as you said what are they doing right now well if i try that and they're not there then i better adjust my plan yep so being flexible is another thing and then the whole stealth thing, we're all learning that every day. Yep. Um, some of the more subtle stealthy aspects, especially with pheasants, but I, we have a practice covey of valley quail about, out behind the house, so I learn this stuff almost every day. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> too many collar tags. Mm-hmm. That'll scare dog. The beeper collar. Yes. You know, all those, those things you don't think about that are n- real noisemakers. I, I, I joke about it, but it's true. There was an ad for some dog product, I think, and maybe it was in your magazine. <laughs> <clears throat> the hunter has a fancy strap vest, and there's six or nine things hanging off it that are clanking and clunking the yep. whole way. Those things really matter, don't they? Yes, they, it does. And, uh, you know, interesting, you bring up the dogs and the things that you carry and the things on the dog and beepers. I'm, old, I'm what you would call old school in the fact I, st- I hunt with a bell on my dog. Yeah, yeah. And 
people often ask me, does, does that bell scare them? And, and I say, I think it gets me more birds than it scares away. Yeah. And I also enjoy the bell because somebody once asked me, well, how, how do you, with that bell, how do you know where the dog is? I yeah. said, I don't always. Yeah. And they said, well, don't you have to, and I will beep to find, like sometimes I can't find that dog in cattails. And that's about the only time I actually beep my dog unless she's not responding to a whistle. And I'll, she, if she's on point, she's not going to leave it. And I'll go, I'll use that beep maybe two or three to find her. But they say, well, but you have to go find the dog. And I said, you know what? I get, I get the thrill of two, 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 two adventures. One, I have to find my dog. And my heart jumps in my throat when I find my dog. And then two, I have to go in and flush the bird. It's, it's double the fun. But it, to get back to your point, uh, you, don't have, you don't have to carry a bunch of gear and a bunch of clunky stuff. You, simplicity makes for the stealth and it also makes for a lot of enjoyment. I, I uh, wrote a piece for somebody else. Maybe you'll buy one from me like this. Um, on uh, the, the battery went dead in my beeper collar one one hunt. Yep. And son of a gun, if I had to do the whole dang day just listening to all that freaking nature. Yeah, that's right. And I realized, wow, I should write about this. Yes, that, that's a great that's a great essay topic and. And the bell, I do. I use a little tinkly bell, and to me, when I will take the sharp, sharp, the sharp tail country, I put that dog out, and that that little tinkle of a bell, and I can still hear the nature that you talk about, and I can still. It's the sound of upland hunting. It is, and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that. I've never been able to put a bell on my wire hair because he, it's so foreign to him. Yeah. i got to probably start all over again. Yep. He hears the ten, first bell and he stops. Yep. And he won't go anywhere. But I'm going to work on that for that very reason. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. That's Tom Carpenter with the Pheasants Forever magazine. And we are on the floor of Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And, you know, we haven't talked about that part of the organization. I, I remember the day that you all announced that you were going to basically create Quail Forever. Yes. It was very exciting. I'd been nagging on your soon-to-be old boss for years over that. I'm glad it happened for all sorts of reasons. So that's also a part of this whole yes. thing. And so whether you love quail or pheasants or all the grouses or, hell, even if you're a deer hunter or a duck hunter, there's something at Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic. Absolutely. And the I'm glad you brought up quail. And way back at the start of our conversation here, we talked about my hunting flow. And I said, after, after that mid-October, except for a few woodcock jaunts, I'm all pheasants all the time until about the middle of January, and uh -huh. then I'm about quail. Uh -huh. And I still have to get myself down in the southwest, and I want to get to the west, but down in the, in the central plains where I can get out of Minnesota in the snow, um, I'll go down into the Missouris, the Kansas, and Nebraska, and hunt Bob Whites. And when I'm hunting Bob Whites, it's sort of like, Wow, I love these things yeah. almost as much as pheasants. Especially I love Especially in January. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did it this year. Uh, went down into northern Missouri, and 
I left two feet of snow and five below zero in Minnesota. And uh, by three o'clock that afternoon, I was hunting quail. Yeah. No, not on snow and in 28 degrees. And I thought I was in Cancun or something. Yeah, it may was as great. well be. It may as well be. It, and my dog was like, Dad, this is really neat. We're not post holing it through two feet of snow. <clears throat> that was my chucker season. Yep. <laughs> So next year I'm I'm ending the season somewhere else. Yep, and that that's what I always do too. Is, yeah, quail forever since 2005, and we are really upping the game across the quail range in the U.S. And that's from the southeast across to the southwest, and then up into that. What's you know really the the real stronghold until we get some of that work done that we're doing in, in those other ranges, that, that middle plains, that middle and southern plains, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, even into southwestern Iowa, that's sort of the quail strong, uh, the wild quail stronghold. Yeah. And we're, we're doing, just like Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever is doing big stuff for habitat in the quail range. If, if you had to leave us with one thing, uh, and I'm just a gear geek, that I am. I admit it. That's why I have a diesel truck with a crew cab and a full-length bed and a canopy on top that has a rack on top of that. And I think there's a rack on top of that. So I carry everything. But when I'm out hunting, all that stuff ends up in my vest. If you were to bring one more thing to, to what I'm carrying that you carry that we may not know about, what, what do you think it would be? I keep my vest pretty light because mm -hmm. I travel a lot. Uh, I walk a lot. You, you know, sharp tail country, chucker country. I, I don't know what's in your vest versus mine, but I, I carry a basic dog care, yeah. little, little dog care kit in case I get a puncture wound or a paw wound. Um, I, I leave the stapler back at the car, but I have tweezers, I have comb to get stuff out, uh, tweezers to get uh, um, thor thorns out, okay. quill, quills. Uh, one thing that I put in long ago and it's paid off is uh, uh, our, our trapping brothers yeah. do trap. I carry a wire cutter for snares yeah. and my dog has got into a snare and if you have your, I, I came around a corner, saw her in it, it wasn't tight and she was like, dad, something's wrong here and I said, you sit. And sit for her means sit, stay, don't move. Yeah. This is time to not go anywhere. And uh, she did get up, and it started. And I just come, came up and snipped it. Yeah. And I guarantee you, every trapper out there understands that if they have a snare cut, oh, a bird dog must have been in it. Yeah. And so I think that's one thing. Uh, you know, I carry the, so a little dog care kit. I carry what I think I'm going to need for shells. Hopefully, I don't need more than I carry. Uh, and water for my dog sure. i if i ever overload on anything especially early on in the season it's enough water for my yeah. dog i carry two two kong water bottles they're, yeah. they're really cool they have a little cap on them you can put the water in the cap and then you pour the water back in you don't have to squirt it in you conserve water um, I carry now that it. would be for the dog. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm famous for not drinking enough water out in the field, uh, but I, I, I use the dog's, the dog's water yeah. too. But I, I do as much as I can for her. Uh, other than that, I, I keep, you know, I like a light down vest to have if in case it gets cold or a, 
a little, usually you're starting out with more, you'll take off as you're hunting, and I'll store that in my vest. Um, I do carry a little, it's called a UB size, a little tripod, and I can set up shots with my iPhone. It's got a little bracket, you put yeah. your iPhone on, it's a tripod. It's got, uh, you can, it's like a heavy, 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 heavy duty bungee, and you can wrap it around a fence yeah, post, yeah. a wire, and you can get some of those really cool shots uh, when you're by yourself. Other than that, a few uh, I, I might carry a, a little snack or two, a granola bar. That's about it. Yeah. I don't carry much. I go. I travel as light as possible. I don't. <laughs> that's and you know, and that, but that's the beauty. Everybody, everybody has their own comfort level and their own approach. And a, a gearhead, a, a lot of uh, transmitters and uh, other gear. That's fine. Some people carry less than me. Yeah. I, I think I carry a minimum for what I need for myself, and most importantly, to, to take care of my dog until um, yeah. I can get her back to where there's uh, some more care. Uh, one of my favorite old stories is it was with one of my Britneys. She was out of Ben's Ben's dogs, Ben Williams' dogs. Uh, my dog Rascal, who was out of his Winston. We're in South Dakota pheasant hunting. She uh, it happens to every pheasant hunter. I winged a rooster, and she was chasing it and went right through a barbed wire fence. Opened up a cut on her chest the size of a silver dollar and I, I did some triage on it got it cleaned out put the ointment on it and, and said to my you know every hunter says and eh, we can keep going and I thought we got to go yeah. to the vet yeah. we hunted out she pointed another rooster on the way oh, out my. and we anyway we got in the vet and uh, it was in uh, Webster South Dakota and we walked in and it was about four in the afternoon and uh, the receptionist said Oh, another one. Take a take a seat, and I was third in line <laughs> oh to get God. to get it sewn up because oh. you know that that happens to bird dogs. Oh, and yeah. and I, I'd 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 leave you with one other, especially if you're going somewhere, you're traveling, hunting. Figure out a vet in the area with an and and put that number in your cell phone and have it. Oh, I agree a hundred percent. I I've always felt that way. I just shot a video that will soon be available. I'll tell everybody when it is. But it's on all of that stuff. And ironically, while I was shooting it, my dog ran into a fence. Yep. Luckily, we were in the backyard. Yep. So we got lucky on that yep. one. But uh, all of those things matter. And the kit, to me, I describe the kit this way. It's like a NASCAR pit stop. We either yes. want to be able to get the dog back on the track yep. or stabilize everything so you can get him to the truck and from the truck, you can get him to the veterinarian. That's, exa that's exactly it. I guess the last thing I'd say is, you know, you, you think about upland hunting and, wow, what if the weather's going to change? Sort of be prepared for that. I worry most about my head and my neck. Uh -huh. I carry a couple of different forms of neck protection, yep, yep. Uh, and that's, that's big stuff. And also, I'll wear two stocking caps, you know, stuff like that. Uh, that's big for your own personal comfort, too, yeah. I think. I, I always tell everybody, you get a good silk bandana, yep. it's like putting on another layer. Exactly. It is. It is. You're 100% right. Yeah. Well, good. Tom Carpenter is the editor and grand poobah at Pheasants Forever <laughs> Journal of Conservation. I'm Scott Linden, your host at the Upland Nation podcast. We're wrapping up our interview here at, as you can probably hear, <laughs> at Pheasant Fest and the Quail Classic, an incredible show. Yeah, another kennel bought at a right price. Here, here it at, comes. At yep. Pheasant Fest. Tom, thanks for being a part thanks, of the Scott. podcast. It was fun. Good, good job. Thank you.
The road trip segment is en route. One of my favorite places in Kansas these days. You'll find out why in just a minute. First, a word from MidwayUSA.com. They do have just about everything for shooting, hunting, in the outdoors. So if you're looking for anything, dog training gear, ammo, woohoo! thank you, Larry Potterfield, ammo, uh, boots, brush pants, you name it, they've got it. It's all at MidwayUSA.com. Larry is, I'd like to consider him a friend. I personally know him. We've worked together on a few things. He's a role model supporting our sport and the Second Amendment. Just browse their entire assortment at MidwayUSA.com. Remember, 20,000 of the products they have, they're shipped free. That's virtually everything at MidwayUSA.com. My friends at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School have just about anything you need if you own a shotgun, from accessories to new guns, and a whole assortment of clay target games to play. If you can think of one, they've probably got it. So if you're looking for a new destination for your claycation, if you're looking for instruction from a qualified instructor, or you're just looking to have a good time, visit midvalleyclays.com. They are located in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. Uh, if you're traveling through, stop by. They're right off the freeway there. Easy to find. Almost always something to have fun with out there at midvalleyclays.com. Let's take a trip to Osborne, Kansas. Just finished an article on hunting in Kansas for Pointing Dog Journal magazine, and I was reminded of what a wonderful time we had when we were last there. It's kind of in the north-central part of the state, which is unusual because of what I'm going to tell you next, and that is pretty good quail hunting. Yeah, bobwhite quail in the north-central part of the state doesn't happen as near enough as it should in that part of the area, but that's one of the neat parts. The other is lots of walk-in hunting ground. They have a really good program there. It's Weehaw, they call it, walk-in hunting access ground. And the signs are pretty big, which I like because that's how I discovered some of these spots. We did a TV shoot, and then I was driving past on the way to the shooting locations all the time. I saw all this other public access so after the guys got back on the airplane and went home, I stayed around and I hunted some of that public ground there. Not only for quail, which abound in some of those plum thickets, but we also found them in kind of the swales with the oak trees in them and some of the other uh, CRP areas, but also pheasants every once in a while. Now, I found the pheasants all in kind of low spots, whether it was a ditch next to the edge of a field or a real, you know, bowl or a, a you know, a, a val almost a valley or a draw. So look around all those spots near Osborne, Kansas, and uh, you might enjoy the mixed bag opportunity in a town that is welcoming to hunters and whose mayor is a bicycle mechanic great guy wonderful people osborne kansas that's our road trip destination for this week and one of our other destinations was of course pheasant fest where i got to talk with tom carpenter thanks tom for being a part of the upland nation podcast 
Thank you all for your comments at social platforms and also your answers in the Upland Nation Insights newsletter. If you left a rating or a review, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the support of our sponsors who make this whole thing possible. Allow me to bring it to you. Sage and Breaker, Pointer Shotguns, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, True Lock Chokes, Joy Dog Food, and I'll see you at FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation Podcast. Podcast.